Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hi, and welcome to the Courtney Turner Podcast. I'm your host, Courtney, and I'm super passionate about moving and thinking. On this show, we are going to dive into all things health, fitness, personal development, lifestyle, and political sociocultural. I've always been fascinated by people and I love learning from the experiences and stories of others. This has been a treat for me and I hope this is enjoyable and useful for you. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or any way that I can make this a better experience for you, please don't hesitate to reach out. Hello, welcome to the Courtney Turner Podcast. I'm here today with Robert Scott Bell. He is the host of the Robert Scott Bell Show. He's also an author and a homeopath. How are you doing today? Doing great, Courtney. It's really good to connect and see you and all of the the wonderful things you're doing. I'm just glad to be along for the ride today. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here with us. So I, when I had sent you my little uh, questionnaire, you said that you have been completely organic since 1990. That's a yeah. three decades. So can you, yeah, that's a, I think that's not like the easiest thing to do. So can you talk a little bit about that experience and what have you noticed in the process and what were some of the challenges <laughs> yeah. and yeah. <laughs> Thanks for making me sound old. Uh, oh, yeah, 30 years well, ago. I, I've been around uh, no, I was, as well. So <laughs> I, I was, um, I was 24 at the time and I had uh, met a homeopathic doctor who immigrated to the United States who was the first doctor to tell me what was wrong with me after having been ill chronically for 24 years. And his first words out of his mouth when he looked at me, it says, your liver is toxic. Wow. What What do you mean my liver is toxic? No doctor had ever once said that all they did was put toxic poison into me, right? And so he said, (laughs) you know, here's some hope. It'll help you. Yeah, here's here's some uh, uh, you know, actually homeopathic remedies that'll help, but you've got to go organic. I'm like, what do you mean go organic? You want me to eat bean sprouts and tofu? That sounds really not good at all. And you know, at the time, 30 years ago, well, let's see, that 94, 90, 1990, yeah, um, it was uh, it was not easy to find relative to what we see today because you can go to Costco and Walmart and every grocery store and find organic if you don't grow it yourself, of course. And so at the time, it was not not very easy or convenient. And it was it was more expensive, relatively speaking, because there was a lot, a lot less available. Mm-hmm. But I saw this guy who was in his, I think, in his 60s at the time, who was dying of tuberculosis in his 40s and had overcome things that even homeopathic doctors said, you know, you're going to die. There's no, no hope for you. And he found a way to heal himself. So he had street cred in my mind running circles around me at the time I was in my 20s and I thought oh, I want to have that kind of vitality in my 60s much less be alive and so he said you got to go organic I was like all right nothing else has worked and so I did and it was a big leap of course from growing up on fast food and you know standard American diet stuff and um, you know I got like within two weeks of that journey into holistic medicine and eating cleaner I started 
seeing significant changes in symptoms that I'd not seen without heavy medication prior to that, which came with a lot of nasty side effects, including no energy. So I thought, okay, this stuff is really doing something. I'm not for sure all about it, but I began to immerse myself in the principles of this. And I was interested always in being a healer since I was little, although I was so disappointed in medicine when I thought I'd be a doctor. If I was to do all the things they did to me when I grew up to other people, I would have been miserable. And my uncle, a medical doctor, told me not to become a doctor. That was funny. I didn't know why then, but I, I knew later. And so that was the beginning of my journey to clean food. And I never really looked back. It wasn't for me, as people said, oh, that'll be, that'll, that'll go over well. You'll be back to eating regular food. I'm like, I don't know. I've been ill my whole life and this is working. Why would I go back? And so I never did. So in, in fact, in fact, you know, people talk about even a lot of holistic people that will hang out with me and we'll go out. And if we're not going to a place that has organic food, I will, I will fast. And what you're not going to compromise. No, I'm not going to compromise. It's not pleasant to not feel good. And I've done enough not feeling good in my life. I know what food that is less than optimal for me does to me. So why would I do that? I'm just a little pragmatic about that. Mm -hmm. So for me, uh, the, the psychiatrist would probably call me orthorexic. If you've heard that term, uh, you're, yeah, you're like, that. you're obsessed when you're afraid. No, I'm not. I'm not afraid. I'm not obsessed. It's just, dude, if you eat food that makes you feel rotten, why would you do it? Right. And, and so for me, it's like, look, if somebody wants to eat food that's less than optimal, I'll try to explain to them why it's not ideal. But if you've eaten that way, you don't know any different. Mm -hmm. I ate that way, didn't know any different, but illness started eating differently and found a way out of the mess I was in for the first 24 years of my life. That was critical. Now it's a lot easier to do, sure. but I still encourage people if they haven't already started gardening themselves, growing their own food, that's the best thing you can do or become, if you're not your own farmer, get to know your farmer, then how they grow the food. Because we're so far removed from food production in America and the West, we're still struggling to figure out where food even comes from. That's so true. That's so true. Can you talk a little bit about your, uh, you, you said you were ill for the first 24 years of your life. What, what were you struggling with? Well, I, I was uh, chronically ill almost from the, from birth. I was the canary in the coal mine of the generation X that I'm, I'm in. And I had uh, gastrointestinal uh, disorders and uh, the doctors, you know, immediately put me on, what do they call it? Formula. You heard of that? Um, I was a smart little baby because I projectile now. Yeah, yeah. I projectile vomited that stuff out as fast as it was put into me because wow. yeah, I, I was smart, right? I read the label clearly. This is not good, mom. And, uh, <laughs> uh, but you know, adaptation is such for survival that if that's all you're given, the body cells are smart. And they'll go. If that's all we're getting now, we can't reject it violently like this, or we're going to die. We're going to perish. And there's an adaptation for survival and you begin to find something or anything in that formula that you can live on, deal with the other garbage some other way. And that becomes the chronic adaptation for survival. And I had not only digestive disorders, I had horrible skin rashes. Uh, I had respiratory diseases. I had, you know, borderline asthma, allergies. Uh, I was a vaccine injured from the smallpox vaccine when I uh, fell asleep on the, the pox that popped out of my arm and it re inoculated the head and the forehead right on the, the temple. I had brutal head pains like migraines times a thousand. And, uh, you know, I had skeletal inflammation. So I, you know, tendonitis met with what drugs because we were a pharmaceutical medical family, um, anti-inflammatory drugs, non-steroidal, steroidal, you name it. So my whole upbringing, allergy shots, allergy medicine was, you know, a pill for every ill. That was the way I was raised. And so I never knew 
real Go health. I, real. I like that. Sorry, uh, I, I never knew real health and I didn't know food. Food was just whatever you can get cheap and easy and quick and a fast food. That was the generation we were starting to be the fast food generation. Right. And, and uh, I, you know, I didn't know because we didn't connect food with illness. It wasn't the way you just went to your doctor and you took a drug and you poison your way out of the symptom, but you end up with 10 others. So I lived that. I don't oh. say dream. It was a nightmare, but um, my prayers to God, my petitions to God was to heal me. And uh, it wasn't a miraculous lightning bolt from the sky. It was, you're going to learn about the principles of life and healing and spirituality and all of that and impact your life with principles. And then when you're ready, I'll send someone that can get taken to the next level. And it's, you've heard that when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Mm -hmm. And so at 24, that's when that happened. And I began to study 10 years of immersion into homeopathic medicine, naturopathy, uh, herbalism, you know, food, diet, nutrition. And I was always a science guy, but the reality is the science leapt beyond common sense when it didn't acknowledge the toxic poisons that we're eating and being medicated with. Wow. So tell me a little bit about uh, your journey with homeopathy. What did you, what was your first early discoveries and what was that journey like? Well, that was at 24 when I heard the word homeopathy for the first time in my life. I never heard the word, right? Sure. Uh, I just, uh, I was like, homeo, what? What? <laughs> and that was the guy that told me about my liver. And I said, you know, you're, dude, you seem to know everything about me and you just met me. He's telling me about my medical history like he, he was there. <laughs> are you psychic? Are you psychic? Tell me. You can tell me. He says, I'm not psychic. He laughed. He says, I'm a homeopath. And I thought that was weirder because I'd never heard of that. <laughs> right. And so that's when I began seriously, you know, putting it to the test. Now, the form of homeopathic medicine I was in, introduced to is what they call clinical homeopathy based on the French approach of drainage or drainage. It's all about the liver and detoxification and the terrain of the body. And so if I'm toxic, polluted, deficient, let's, let's address all of that, right. even with homeopathy. And that began my journey to health and healing. And yes, I can use, you know, single remedies. I can use complexes. I can use constitutional remedies. But the bottom line is what I've learned initially and have applied since then is that people are toxic and deficient and inflamed. And even if you can find their constitutional remedy, it doesn't negate the, the previous three issues. Sure. And so the drainage concept for clinical homeopathy, and by the way, I did a, a, a lecture on demand for Trinity School of Natural Health called Clinical Homeopathy 101 Plus. It's just an hour long lecture that people can get download and learn about the basics that get them started. And I talk about the three basic phases of clearing the terrain or restoring integrity and function to the whole body. And in that way, it's not too complicated. And that Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That will allow for further, uh, let's say, journeys if you want to go further into homeopathy and let's say constitutional type prescribing. Right. You'll have a lot of the garbage out of the way so that you'll respond better to that remedy or you won't end up in a healing crisis or aggravation. So clearing the terrain is the starting point. And it's not, I was going to say, it's not... It's not a new concept in medicine in terms of sure. Chinese medicine, Ayurveda and things like that, but applied homeopathically, it, it, it was more of a the latter years of Dr. Samuel Hahnemann evolved into that when he began to see chronically ill patients among the high society of Paris. So it changed his earlier prescribing methods among the peasants of Germany, if you know some of the history of homeopathy. Mm-hmm. Wow. So I, you know, I, I talk a lot about uh, stolen history, but I think that the mm. part of the stolen history <laughs> has been stolen medicine. Uh, you know, there's so much and yeah. you're bringing up some principles that are actually quite ancient that nobody knows mm-hmm. about now yeah. today, right? So yeah, what are your mm-hmm. thoughts on why so much is being hidden from us? Why we're being perpetually lied to essentially? Well, the critical aspect of control of large swaths of people is mm-hmm. to erase history and rewrite it. Mm-hmm. To keep out the parts that would empower people because they would learn from things that were mistakes in the past that led to disasters, either health or political or otherwise. If you can rewrite that history, people are left completely you know, victimized by what they don't know. And then they are controlled by this idea that is a new idea, not an old idea, that we can poison you back to health. You know? We go back to 1910. It sounds so nonsensical, right? <laughs> doesn't it? I mean, you can talk to a fourth grader and they'll go, no, that makes no sense. Don't give me poison to make me better. That makes no sense. And yet doctors do that every time, every day with their medical degree. That's why I call it a degree. So we got to use the sense God gave us, but we also have to understand history and know history. If we don't, we're doomed to repeat it. Right. And the Flexner Report of 1910 was a big part of the corruption of medical science to where it altered medical training, medical school curricula to only teach doctors about patent petrochemical pharmaceuticals that would gain monopoly status in the 20th and now 21st century, where we would only look to them. Yeah, Rockefeller. Who had monopoly on all the petrochemicals, but go on. Correct. So it's it's an economic imperative to have a monopoly. Uh, What was it? Rockefeller said competition is a sin. You know, it's artificial, this competition for the healthcare dollar. It doesn't exist. You have to, um, you know, go underground and be secretive about what you do if you can actually help people to heal. And doctors are now finding out the hard way in, in the COVID craziness that they found that ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and other things were working. And then they were suddenly attacked viciously by their own profession and threatened with loss of licensure for doing what? For actually helping their patients to not die. Whereas those that fought, fought the party line, whether it be through hospitals or NIH and NIAD and Fauci and others, did things that did nothing to help. And by the time they needed the help, it was too late. They're in hospitals and they're destroyed by a drug that will destroy their kidneys, remdesivir, and put on ventilators that most people never wake up from. So the doctors are finding out the disaster that is their own profession. And they're they're trapped in it. They're trying to find a way out now. And I've been warning them, as my uncle warned me, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and now they're, they're coming on board, which is great. So there's a, perhaps a new a renaissance that's going to happen now because of the COVID craziness, and we'll see a better system emerge from it. Sure. You brought us, so speaking of, you know, the, the doctors coming out of this paradigm and uh, waking up, essentially, you brought up the, uh, the terrain and cleansing the terrain. Do you, are, are you familiar with the whole germ versus terrain theory debate? Oh, yeah. I've lectured on that for many, many years. Yeah. Um, going back, in fact, when I started bringing that up, my first time I was on radio was 1994. I was on a 50,000-watt station in Atlanta with my mentor at the time. Um, and we were scheduled for one hour. And four hours later, the show ended. And the, the switchboard was lit up for four hours. Wow. Uh, you know, we were talking about the terrain and how mm-hmm. germs don't cause disease and that vaccines are dangerous and that HIV doesn't cause AIDS. You can, you know, man, people were freaking out in 1994 to hear that kind of information. And they I thought, still well, freak out dream. hearing that today. So still some, some, it's not as bad. I mean, I used to get hate mail and hate calls and threats yeah. from doing it, but now, you know, the least of, of their concerns, I mean, the vaccine issue because of COVID and the COVID jab now, we're not in the minority anymore. Honestly, yeah. we're not. Really? So things have changed, but, but, uh, we, you know, the terrain issue is a big one because it's, it, 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 our fear of germs made us vulnerable for, for the COVID, uh, propaganda. If we didn't fear germs, we would look at them and go, there's not a problem here. I'm not running. I'm not hiding. I'm going right. to encounter this and be strengthened for it and from it. And, and yet, uh, I I'm concerned about those that don't understand that yet, that they'll be vulnerable for the next you know, fear mongering campaign. Is it going to be monkeypox? Is it going to be Marburg? Is it going to be the vaccine? Uh, that's not a vaccine, the reaction and all these people dead, are they going to blame it on another virus and people are going to fall for it? I'm concerned about that. But I see a lot of people are waking up to the reality that these things, whether rightly or wrongly called vaccines are devastating their health and destroying their immune system and not helpful at all. Totally, totally. I, I'm very concerned about that as well. I'm encouraged to hear you say, though, that we're not in the minority because I, I, I still know quite a few people and a lot of very uh, well-esteemed doctors as well who are yeah. very seeped in uh, the germ theory and where the whole foundation is. But even at you know the conference that we were at, a lot of them were, you know, the framework was germ theory. And I, mm-hmm. I, I was very happy that Dr. Pavlovsky said, uh, you know, hold up. And I'm glad I was like, well, I was waiting for someone to say something, you know? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. yeah. Larry's great. Yeah. He is great. Yeah, for sure. Um, so you have been uh, in the media since 1994 and there have been a lot of changes since then. What are your thoughts on where media, how, how broadcast has changed, where it's going <laughs> what you see. Yeah. Well, my show started in five years after that experience I described to you in 1999, when I first opened up a microphone on radio. And, you know, that was the initial phase. uh, And then eventually got nationally syndicated. And, you know, during the early 2000s, it was a big deal radio. Uh, There wasn't podcasts at that time. uh, So it was a whole different realm. And it was important. But uh, I was uh, kind of a, one of the lone voices. Very few of us are still around. Dr. Bob Martin is still around. I don't know many others that have been doing it this long. And, uh, you know, we were the renegades in radio because uh, not a lot of folks would be appreciative of the messages I was sending. And certainly the advertisers and sponsors, which were even then big time pharmaceutical uh, as well, uh, that sustains the media. And here I was with a counter message about, uh, you know, pharmaceuticals are deadly poisons. You might want to not take them. Uh, <laughs> right. But as, as we, we see that the radio uh, 
uh, industry has really had to branch into the online delivery system where people are listening to the, even in their car to internet based shows more than they are just radio. Uh, so even though I still have a toe in radio once a week, the evolution of, of the show going six days a week and the Robert Scott Bell show online video and audio formats has reached people in places we could never reach just, just on radio. Uh, so I'm, you know, less concerned for people to say, I want to have a radio show. Well, it really isn't necessary anymore. The outreach through podcasts and discovery where people are digesting information that they are choosing, seeking out, as opposed to just passively receiving. It's extraordinary in that way. Now we've been banned and deplatformed on a number of, you know, things like YouTube and Spotify and, uh, Twitter right now has got me in, in jail indefinitely. I don't know. We've been broadcasting on Facebook live. They've taken us down for a little bit, but they haven't said we're permanently banned. So we go out through the website directly and through a number of other mechanisms and then audio podcast sites later. Uh, so we still find a way every time we're banned or deplatformed or censored, more people want to know what we have to say. And, and so it's been a, you know, kind of a, a backfire where they thought they could limit us. Sure. Yeah. They made it harder to find, but it's, same time, they've, they've actually made people more intrigued to find it. So right. it's okay. Yeah. So what is your, I, I so there, I feel like there's kind of a bell curve for uh, what you're describing, which is the Streisand effect, right? So people who mm. are really, you know, kind of beginning, they're very small. There's not enough people who know they're out there in order mm-hmm. to create the intrigue, right? Yeah. Um, and, yeah. And uh you know, then the people who are like, I think really, you know, very pervasive, I, I think it still has a strike stand effect, but they like to make examples of them, you know, to sure. show everybody like, you don't want to do this. This is, this is what might happen to you. Right. Um, so what is your, do you have any uh, kinds of thoughts on what people who are, because I think, you know, the media really is changing and it, uh, you know, podcasts are really growing, a lot more people getting into the space. And I think the alternative media is really growing, which is great. I think we need more voices, right? I think people uh, need to be, that's because discourse is being censored so much. I think yeah. we need we need more of it to combat it. So what are you, do you have any thoughts for people who are kind of, you know, newer to the game and trying to break through all the censorship that's occurring? Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, the, the response, the appropriate response to censorship is more speech, mm-hmm, right? right? More speaking out. And, yeah. and um, so I am encouraging everybody that has a, a voice and a message to share to get it out there. Now, not everybody feels comfortable doing, you know, an online podcast, and that's fine. Then just be vocal in your community where you have a sphere of influence and begin to talk. And, and I think one of the things that you'll learn is, is you encounter a lot of opposition is to be Socratic in your methodology, ask questions, yeah. always ask questions, stimulate thought, and it might upset them, but it's not going to be you directing them and telling them what to mm-hmm. think or believe. They're going to come to that point where they have this cognitive dissonance, wake up moment where smoke comes out their ears and they've got to decide to take more heavy medication or, or you know, the proverbial, uh, you know, red pill, right. right. And uh, see it as it really is. So I would say, uh, you know, any little bit that you can do and just share it organically. A lot of this is a also a function of time, you know, whether somebody wants to do it and, and earn a living at it versus just, I got to get this off my chest 
and and you're better for it. I think even as I've done this for this is my 23rd year of broadcasting, I, I look at what I do is catharsis for me. <laughs> you know, if, if nobody was listening, it's healthy for me to get all of this out. You know, I'm fortunate to sustain, you know, after years and years and years, um, you, you toil in obscurity forever to become an overnight sensation. That's how it is. Nobody sees or very few people yeah. see all the years that you did. And then suddenly like, I wish I could do that. I'm like, well, you got to understand these things are a function of as well, time and commitment and consistency, persistence, all of that. And, um, you know, the, the idea of, I don't know, I'm not good at these, these apps like TikTok and I can barely use Instagram, although I have one. Mm -hmm. uh, it's almost like instant gratification. Yeah. And, and, you know, I guess some people be flashing the pants for flashing some things <laughs> versus <laughs> right. sustaining, uh, a, you know, a solid base with information that is valuable, valid and uplifting and, and informative and educational and, uh, and entertaining too. Uh, in a way it's different. And I don't know because I'm not of that generation that, that has their DNA in, in, in TikTok yet. I'm, I haven't changed my, my MO because of it. Maybe that's bad. Maybe that's good, but it's just, we have an audience that is spanning a lot of generations and even, you know, young people that have grown up listening to the show because their parents did, which is kind of cool, which makes me feel good about the millennials and post millennials that have that they're not likely to be duped by the propaganda or afraid of germs, for instance, because, you know, I focused on those things every every broadcast to some degree. But I'm welcoming everybody into the stage that would love to and feels you know good about doing it. But I would say do it first and foremost for you. That's not selfish it is something that if you have a great passion about and you have integrity, people like authenticity and they'll detect it and they'll know the BS and they'll tune it out uh, as well. But if you're authentic and passionate about it, people will be grabbing. They want they like oh, I like people that are have an integrity and, and they're so passionate, excited about a topic that it gets me excited about a topic. So find something that you have a genuine interest in. Otherwise, you're trying to create artificially that which would not bring you much joy and pleasure just to have an audience. You know, right. that's not the fulfilling part of it, ultimately. No, absolutely. That, that's so true. I, and I think that's true with anything. You know, if you start with uh, the passion, then, you know, you'll, you'll be compelled to continue to put in the work. And there's a lot of yeah. that. So, <laughs> yeah, let's start there. What are some of the things you see as a... Uh, the biggest threat facing us right now? Mm. Um, <laughs> compliance. I think compliance, that word is, is, is really important to understand as an adult. It's one thing that you want your kids to be compliant when you set down some rules that they you know do their, do their part. But at the same time, you don't want to smash critical thinking and questioning. I would encourage that. But I think that uh, we have a, a, you know, fundamentally very compliant populace that has yeah really fallen prey to authority and authoritarians. Mm -hmm. And and that is the threat because um, when they say jump, you say how high yeah. uh, and, and rather than, you know, questioning the whole basis of why I'm mean, taking orders from somebody that knows little or nothing about the subject that they claim to know a lot about. Like if we talk about COVID and everything, everything the government and non-governmental organization said to do has been a disaster. It's the opposite of what we should have done. And so as we learn that, I hope and pray that people see that and break that cycle of looking at these people as if they know something you don't know uh, or they know more about things. They might, but in many cases, it's it's uh, so wrong because they, they leap from germ theory and everything from that is pretty much gets wronger by the 
how far they extend out from that versus understanding the terrain, the immune system and all of these things. So we've subjected ourselves uh, in a sense, in a certain area of our lives. Like we, you know, we can feel like I'm autonomous in this area and this area and this area, but when it comes to my body and my health and my kid's body, I'm like, oh man, that's just like, no way I can do that. So I'm gonna turn my body over to doctors. And the doctors are the priestcraft and the church of pharmaceutical mysticism. It's a dangerous death cult. Mm-hmm. It is. It's not anything uh, uh, terrific to go, oh, I praise that. You guys are, should be exalted outside of the emergency trauma physician or wartime physician that can patch you up and get you back on the battlefield. But that is not promotion of vitality. That's about keeping you alive to fight another day. And, you know, there's so much more to life than war, <laughs> I would like to think. One that, would hope. <laughs> um, yeah. But they apply wartime medicine, which is valid in that form framework to everything and then they gain a monopoly over it and expertise and guess who's invited to the table in government to make these decisions the same people that are afraid of germs or that want to foment that fear of germs that we are more germ than we are human or animal in reality is we have more microbes in our gut than we have mammalian cells in our entire body uh so it, it, it the common sense we would like to think we have or even the spiritual sense if we go to church or synagogue or temple once or twice a week the thing is we turn off that spiritual sense and we turn it over to a false teaching, false prophets, false religion, false leaders in uh, modern medicine to apply improperly. Yeah, absolutely. What, how, how do you think some of these, I mean, one of the questions I, I often try and ask people who, who do subscribe to more of a Turing theory is how did this even begin? Because I feel like it is kind of a linchpin in a lot of ways mm-hmm. it's you know it is as you were saying it's the way that a lot of this fear porn and propaganda was able to be uh perpetuated and this essentially the psyop was bought into without that premise it wouldn't have been so easy so i think it is the linchpin for control uh, for control mechanisms in a lot of way ways but i i wonder how some, some of these things got started i mean we know some of it was very like we have a pinpoint directive like Rockefeller hiring Flexner and, you know, so that's the pharmaceutical, but some of these other theories, I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. Well, I think it goes deeper into a, you know, if we talk about a fear of germs, what is it really? Mm -hmm. Isn't it a fear of death? Yeah. And and what is that really? It translates into a fear of life or living, you know, if you're afraid to die, we really saw Uh, that the past two years. yeah. Yeah. And so uh, I think it's a spiritual crisis more than anything else. And, and I recognize that, you know, I have a plurality of, uh, you know, various uh, belief systems in my audience, various religions, non-religion, spiritual, non-spiritual, all of that. So uh, I understand that wherever you are spiritually, I'm not here to dissuade you. In fact, I'm encouraging people to really connect with spirit, however they perceive it to be, uh, and communicate with uh, that which created us all, whether you call it God or whatever, that our um, distancing from that through fear has, has really made us subject to manipulation and control, deception, because that fear it fear uh, kind of crowds out critical thinking as you know right. fear crowds out love as well yeah. and and the healing that we want is is not going to come from fear uh, so i think that if we go to the the mechanics of the germ theory i go back to antoine bechamp and claude bernard these were the giants in a kind of semi-modern context going back a couple of centuries of course uh, that set the stage for what would have been an amazing reality had we listened to them instead pasteur bastardized Bechamp's work 
and convinced everybody that was germs that caused disease rather than being the result of disease. So that was some of the early mechanics of it. And then the profitability of what would then become a pharmaceutical monopoly in looking at if the germ is the cause of disease, all we need to do is kill it more efficiently. And then you kind of disconnect from the absurdity of that because what does it mean to kill a germ? It means to kill the very essence of what keeps our bodies alive. So the so-called side effects of antibiotics are direct effects of the drug that diminish our immune function and capacity. So we become weaker and more vulnerable, which sort of self-fulfilling prophecy, we become more subject to more chemical poisons because we got more infections popping up, for instance. And those infections then go chronic. And then, you know, we manage another chronic symptom or ailment with another toxic poison to suppress it. And you go, oh, uh, my pain is gone, right? But in the meantime, you've intoxicated your liver and you have no energy or you have now headaches popping up or, you know, on and on it goes. And, you know, that's where you have the, uh, the deficit of, of cognitive uh, uh, function, if you will, right. in making those connections because we've been so programmed to disconnect from food, terrain, clean water, all the basic things. And they say, germ, germ, germ. What the people of Africa need, obviously, are more vaccines. No, they need <laughs> clean water. They need, you know, sanitation, sewage hygiene in those areas where disease is prevalent as they call it infectious disease because it's the terrain that gives rise to those things. When we look at Ebola in uh, whether you go to uh, Zimbabwe, Sudan, wherever you are, um, you see that or Zaire, <clears throat> the simple reintroduction of a humble trace element like selenium reverses Ebola. Like did selenium kill Ebola? No, it's simply normalized metabolic functions where they, what they call viral spewing from cells is no longer needed for whatever reason, because you have a mineral that is highly protective and supportive of cellular function, immune system, et cetera. And that's just one small example, yeah. rather than Amazing. thinking, oh my gosh, we need more toxic poisons or drugs or vaccines to set, to protect them from something that is a terrain issue, not a, yeah. necessarily an infectious viral issue. Right. Wow. That that's amazing. I mean, that that is really amazing when you think about that. That you know, it's a one uh, mineral essentially that could have such a profound impact on your entire, uh, you know, cellular metabolic function. Yeah, and if you're lacking it, all bets mm -hmm. are off. Cancer is big. I mean, selenium is the most pro cancer protective and reversing nutrient mineral, so well studied and, and tested. It's not even controversial. It's only controversial for the FDA and the FTC if you were to make any claims about selenium and sell selenium, that's forbidden, right? We've had attacks on freedom of speech long before COVID. And I was pointing that out on my show for years and people would go, oh, that's just ridiculous. What are you talking about? We're the freest country. There's free, yeah, freedom of speech, except in medicine and healing. And the doctors learned it now the hard way if they hadn't already. Some had been martyred already for many years or years earlier, but others had, had been subject to a lot of uh, persecution and prosecution simply because they didn't use drugs to prevent or reverse cancer, for instance. So there has been a, a history, an underbelly, a seething other underbelly of anti-freedom of speech within our country that most people weren't aware of unless they were in medicine, particularly natural medicine, holistic therapies. And we have been subjected to that for a long time. But uh, that's now what something the uh, doctors are recognizing because of what's happened to them in COVID. Sure. No, I think that's so true. And I think that the the medical system is one of the ways that they usher in the, the tyranny because mm -hmm. people who are sick are dependent, right? So they're much yeah. easier to control. Mm -hmm. um, 
So that being said, what are your thoughts on how, I think that sometimes it's very overwhelming to people to think about doing some of these alternative uh, practice, which really shouldn't even be considered alternative, but because they're right. bombarded, right? They shouldn't, they, they should just be, you know, natural, uh, healthy lifestyle, but we're being bombarded from so many different avenues with toxins. You know, there's the environmental toxins, they're putting toxins in the food, they're putting toxins in our water, you know, they're feeding us a steady diet of toxic uh, information, you know, so um, it's really kind of ubiquitous. So I'm wondering, how would you advise people to start to clean some, to cleanse, if you will? Well, you know, we go organic first mm -hmm. or the equivalent, right? We stop putting the garbage in. Mm -hmm. That alone, if you did nothing else, is so significant because it, your body is so resilient. It is just an amazing creation so far beyond any medical doctors or science in that realm. They're still trying to figure out how does it do what it does. But yeah, if you stop yeah. putting an inflow of toxic poisons in, suddenly your body can shift from defense or fight or flight. This is kind of like the uh, cellular biologist Bruce Lipton talked about that being in protection. Your body is, mm -hmm. you, you know, you're feeding it things you call food, yet within the food, there are dangerous enemies of your life. And so your body goes, do I take it in? Do I fight it? Do I defend, you know, so it's this constant struggle energetically. What do I do with this stuff we call food that's not optimal, not clean? And so by doing that alone, your body can start to begin the process of healing, regeneration, cleansing. However, because we're so far beyond simplicity in terms of com uh, complexities of, of toxicity and layers and, you know, for years and decades or now generations, yeah. then the next step is like you ask about, well, how do I now encourage the body to accelerate that recovery, to accelerate the cleanse, for instance. And there are so many ways to go about it, whether it be herbal, homeopathic, uh, more targeted supplements, things like that, other energetic forms of, of healing medicine, even some technologies that allow for that. Uh, that's why, you know, for some that are interested, I did that clinical homeopathy 101 plus course mm -hmm. lecture on demand at trinityschool.org uh, and uh, wrote the book with my buddy Ty Bollinger, Unlock the Power to Heal to give some of the basics out there, to get people started very practical and pragmatic ways so that they feel overwhelmed because who doesn't? Like, where do I start? You can yeah, get some insight yeah. into, here's some basic places to start. And, uh, you know, of course, listening to the show uh, that I do six days a week, every once in a while, dropping in as little as much as you want, you're gonna submit questions, I'll answer them on the air. Those kinds of things happen because I sometimes forget, and I, I, I'm just, I don't like to forget about how, how I didn't know this stuff for most right. of my life at that time. So sometimes I can sound like, well, you're talking like everybody knows this, Robert. My producer will say that super Don. I'm like, oh yeah. I just, doesn't everybody know this? No, no, because I did. I remember now I didn't know it either. So I always kind of come back to the basics and that's why your questions are great and trying to help people in that realm is so important. In fact, I got to get you on my show eventually to tell your story. You, you've got amazing th things well, that you've overcome. I, I got nothing on you. <laughs> Thank you. I, I am nothing if not a survivor, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, we'd love that. We'll definitely schedule that. Um, yeah. So I also want to talk a little bit about, because this is the other thing that I think makes it overwhelming for people is, mm -hmm. and I do think this is by design, but they, you know, they kind of manipulate the, the meanings of things, right? So 
what encompasses something actually being organic? What encompasses yeah. something being non-GMO, so forth, so right. on, you know? Yeah. Uh, and it can be very deceptive and very uh, just murky to kind of weed through all of this. So well, and that's you- part of the, 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 the psychological operation of it all in, 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 you know, you could argue to me, well, Robert, organic's not really organic. How do you know? I'm like, okay, I get that. I, I think there are going to be cheaters in any realm. Uh, there are standards that have teeth. There are laws that are applying. And, you know, for the most part, in all the analyses done on organic food versus conventional grown uh, pesticide residues, it's it's significantly reduced. I don't know that anybody, anywhere can go to zero anymore simply because the, the whole entire planet has been contaminated. But what we know of the resilience of the body to overcome a lot, if you significantly reduce that inflow, even if it's not perfect, every step in that direction is going to pay you back a thousand fold is the point. And yeah, does it have to be certified or good? No, if you know that the farmer uses practices that are equivalent or better, and it's not called that because they didn't want to pay the feds for the official status, that's fine. It's not about official, the word, but finding out how things are grown or growing them yourself. I mean, I don't certify my garden out back is organic but it's organic right (laughs) Right. so making those important distinctions so that you kind of ease off on the intensity of it oh if it's not this it's like well you can make steps in that direction you know and we talked about non-gmo and jeffrey smith is a great friend of mine over the years we've done a lot together and you know he did that uh that movie uh what was that secret ingredients i don't know if you've seen that 90 minute documentary film and this is profound. This what the, what he did in this film, and with doctors to to analyze the people in it. He had like kids. Some were even on the autism spectrum. Uh, parents and grandparents. So like three generations, all various ailments and illnesses. And through the course of this film, all you see the doctors do is prescribe an organic, non-GMO diet. That's it. And you watch in this ninety-minute film, every one of these people their health recovers, including two of the children, if I remember correctly, that had the autism label, lost the label. That's Just simply by cleaning up what went in. We're not even talking about all the other stuff that I would do to help accelerate, as we mentioned before. Um, That to me is so profound. And then it it simplifies things like, you mean all I have to do is choose cleaner food? Yep. When food was called food. Now you have to say organic or biologique if you're in France. (laughs) Um, But the idea is, We are not meant to consume toxic poisons on a daily basis. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss, plushcare.com slash weight loss. Every meal or that, or that is in every meal and it makes sense. And you go, well, yeah, that sort of makes sense, but will you do it? Well, until you come to the conclusion as I did that it matters that much, you'll always find an excuse to not do it. Or I'll just cheat now this a little bit here. I'm like, for me, what is a cheat? I don't even think of it that way. It might be indulging in organic ice cream once in a while but it's still organic quality because it's like if i'm gonna you know indulge in some sugar it's gonna be cleaner sugar 
so that I don't have the toxic poisons or the genetic engineered components in there as well. And they're also, you know, because I understand the role of minerals, like if you do refine carbohydrates of any kind or a sweet dessert, you probably want to take a 100% whole food chromium and vanadium type tablet as well, because that is nature's, uh, gives you nature's ability to what, to interact with these sugars in a way that allows them to be grabbed, shipped right. into storage or utilized for energy as Maybe. opposed to creating an aberrant metabolism and diabetes and hypoglycemia. And I was full on hypoglycemic when I was younger. I couldn't go an hour without eating. Now I fast every Friday and it's like wow. not a big deal. It's like, Interesting. I, I'm like not hungry. So that that's the minerals. Again, we come back to the minerals. So that's another aspect of what I talk about on the show. And it's in the book, unlock the power to heal as well. Awesome. Yeah. So chromium in particular increases insulin sensitivity. So that's why it aids yeah. transport. Yeah, go on. Yeah, and I know they talk about insulin sensitivity, insulin resistance. Mm -hmm. I, I'm more practical than that. I say, all right, let's let's talk about the the, the chromium molecules in the body. If mm -hmm. they're not there, what does that mean? Well, the truck, the big semi tractor trailer truck carrying the sugar, that's insulin, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. It goes, it goes, it goes, it goes to the dock where it delivers the sugar, and there's no dock worker, no dock workers to offload the right. the truck. And you know, you call that truck resistance i mean <laughs> where do you say there are no dock workers there there's nobody to offload the stuff and the chromium are the dock workers and so wow. when that truck with insulin pulls up to the the dock and suddenly the chromium's there it's like all the dock workers come in they offload it there's no resistance and so i i, I a little bit get annoyed with doctors and, and even natural people when they say that because it's like you're not resisting it you just have nobody to offload it the minerals are not there and they, they make up these terms because they don't know that for some reason. And so the form of chromium matters, right? We don't want to do synthetic isolates or chromium picolinate. That's like binding a waste product from your cell and binding it to chromium to trick the body. It's like, that's not going to work really well. But finding it in the forms that are most designed by the body, by God, to, to be utilized. There are food forms of mineral supplements, and I defer to them first before I would ever go to anything synthetic or artificial. For sure. I, I love that analogy. That yeah, absolutely. That is that that is exactly what they're describing. Only they use the term, and the term is not very uh, apropos. So they make it like you're guilty. You're resisting. Stop resisting. I'm like, <laughs> give me the minerals. Get the minerals in me. There's no resistance. So these are basic concepts that I've learned over the years, and I'm grateful and honored to be able to communicate to folks in a way that makes sense. And they suddenly the light. Oh yeah. Oh, oh. now I now it's not so confusing. I get that. I can do that, and you know why. And so you'll be committed to it, and you won't be likely to forget a, a simple visual like that. That's why I can teach kids about that, and my kids yeah. if they if they indulge in a sweet treat, they get their chromium. They I don't have to tell them. They know. I know. <laughs> That's awesome. So they're putting now, I actually just tweeted about this this morning. They're putting nanotechnology in our food now. So, mm. yeah. <laughs> so nano, nanotech is like everywhere. You know, they're, yeah. they're putting it in the sky and then spraying us with it. They're certainly putting it in the injections, whatever you want to call it. You know, uh, yeah. we know that it's in there. Um, we have lots of evidence to indicate that. So, and now they're putting it in food. Who knows what where else it's going to go? Do you have any thoughts mm -hmm. on that and how what we can do about that? Well, yeah, I, I don't know what basis they're utilizing what they call nanotechnology in food. I mean, 
in reality, in our bodies, we, we work at the nanoscale and beyond. I mean, that, so that's not a foreign concept for our bodies to interact with. But the question is, you know, what is happening? Does it increase toxicity? Does it reduce toxicity? I mean, when I work with bioactive silver hydrosol and now bioactive copper hydrosol, you can measure those um, uh, minerals on the nanoscale interacting with the body or other things within the body. And that could be a benefit. So it, it's kind of an interesting thing when we say nanotechnology and we rightfully get a little concerned, maybe even a little scared, but it's an application. It's about what are they utilizing it? What is being utilized in that context? It's so I can't blanket go everything. Nanotechnology is dangerous and deadly. Yeah. And, you know, it's not about that, uh, but it's about learning. You know, again, when you say that, it's like, oh, what are they putting in the food and for what purpose? And what have they shown it does? And then we can go, let's make a, an informed decision about whether we think, no, that's that's wrong or, oh, that actually has therapeutic value. And, and I try to step back from that. Certain things we can dismiss easily and go, oh, sure. that's sure. pure poison, right? But in this realm of the next level, and we talk about homeopathy, um, some have termed that nanopharmacology. In fact, when we dilute things to the point of the number of, beyond the number of Avogadro, that used to be thought of as when there was no molecule left of the original substance through that form of, uh, or method of dilution. And now we have the technology to find out there, yep, there are actually nanoparticles left of the original ingredient turned into a homeopathic remedy. Now, it's clearly not toxic. The question is, is it really even what we're relying upon it, or is it the energy associated with it? So it's so close to that energetic reality. It's like the cross between those two worlds. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, well, one of the ones that I, I think concerned me was that it was uh, essentially pesticides because they were mm -hmm. concerned about the health of the plant, but somehow yeah. they're not concerned about the health of a human digestive system, that that's much more, uh, much more able to handle these uh, chemicals. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought that was very interesting. But yeah, and that's a distinction, right? Yeah, life-destroying substances. If it's going to kill pests, what do you think it's going to do to you? And that's an important distinction. You know, so when we utilize a pesticide, we use like delimine, the distillate from the orange peel, like an orange guard. So we have a safe a way to minimize some of the pests that we don't want, perhaps, around us. But we're not harming our environment. We're not harming animals. I mean, there are ways that we can utilize what is in the natural world to our yeah. benefit without making it toxic and poisonous to us. Totally, totally. Yeah. I, and I, I love that you, uh, you know, sit back and, uh, you know, discern, like, what are we actually looking at? Because I think that that is one of the uh, ways that they uh, execute the propaganda is to slap labels on things. And then the label mm -hmm. triggers people. So, you know, they either love it or they hate it or they're afraid of it. Yeah. So, right. So it's much to adjudicate the information within what they're, yeah. what they're doing it's a it's a hegelian dialectic replacing critical thinking one and, and that's what they love in life it's easy to control us when we're in two camps yeah. as opposed to finding out there's there's methods and warranted uses and utilizations for things that we would automatically dismiss because of a name and a label right, right. and we'd like i'd like to see people get beyond that it doesn't mean we won't find harm in things we thought were good or vice versa, right. but that's part of the process of scientific inquiry, exploration, yeah. <laughs> questioning the things Novel they don't want us to do. concepts these days. Right. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Could you talk a little bit about, you did such a great presentation um, at the Advanced Medical Conference, and you talked a little bit about copper, which I think people mm -hmm. are not super familiar with. Could you just talk a little bit about the benefits and why we're deficient? And I know we don't have a whole lot of time, but yeah. 
But yeah. So, uh, yeah, I was utilizing this is the, the sovereign copper. This is a bioactive copper hydrosol. And, you know, the, the reason I brought it up most significantly in this time is in the last couple of years, even physicians have been prescribing a lot of zinc and vitamin C for immunity and other purposes. And yet those both of those substances will drop copper stores in the body significantly, right? You know, the, the, the zinc will facilitate metallothionine production in the liver, which has a thousandfold affinity for copper. Now, the other thing is uh, people aren't eating. You know, how many if you did a poll for your audience, Courtney, how, how many people would you say are eating liver once a week? I mean, you know, one percent now it's like used to be a staple of the diet. And of course, that's a copper rich food. But even copper rich foods like I like bee pollen have very little copper in them because it's been diminished from the soils almost 80 percent to 90 percent. It's more than any other mineral. It's, it's been diminished. So we're already at deficit and we need it for what are known as cuproenzyme pathways. That is uh, the function of uh, connective tissue, strengthening of cardiovascular, the arterial uh, network, uh, the ability to produce energy, mitochondrial production of uh, adenosine triphosphate, ATP, is fully dependent upon copper and magnesium. And when we look at the cardiovascular events that we're seeing in COVID or COVID jabs, what is it that protects the microvasculature all the way up to the cardiac proteins of the heart? We see copper and selenium. Right. And we, if we drive one of those or both of those or all of those out, then whatever might be blamed on COVID or COVID jabs is only made worse in the absence of these minerals. Again, and critically, copper is so easy to get back in the system. But if you if you're taking zinc and vitamin C, my gosh, you got to be taking copper. And I would ask the question, how many of you you know, have been told about zinc and vitamin C? It's like the whole everybody in the audience, even at, at that event, they kind of know, oh, yeah, we've, how many of your doctors that told you to take it? Told you also to take copper, maybe one or two hands or zero hands. So we know there's a deficit of critical thinking in, in terms of certain minerals. And I would recommend for people that want to learn more about copper, my, my good friend Morley Robbins has written an entire book about copper, Cure Your Fatigue, CU for Copper. Uh, and that's a great resource. It's very scientific, but if anybody has an inclination to want to learn about copper and its critical role for more than we can talk about today, that's mm -hmm. a great uh, option. Thank you. Wow, that's awesome. So you brought up liver. Um, I think people get that one of the they they put warnings on that that you could you know it's too much vitamin A. But you said once a week is what people should be having, right? Well, I mean, there are people that eat liver every day, yeah. and they're not overdosing on vitamin. You with it though, if you yeah. if you look up like nu nutrient benefits in liver, the, the first yeah. thing that comes up is like vitamin A overdose. Yeah, and and I think we're at a deficit with this retinol, this vitamin A, mm -hmm. because of you know lack of again dietary influx of uh, you know the animal fats that are healthy coming from healthy animals, of course. Yeah. Uh, so the idea that uh, um, we're going to overdose on vitamin A. That typically comes from taking synthetic forms of these things in vitamin supplements, for instance, more than actually eating foods from healthy animals that are, you know, our ancestors ate. Now, do you need to eat it every day? Probably not, but we're not even eating it a little bit. So <laughs> right, right. we got to supplement at this point until we get back to some semblance of sensible, sensible eating because of what is contained in it, including the A, which is critical and is deficient in a lot of people too. Yeah, for sure. Wow. Well, I, I want to wrap up and I know you're, you're short on time, but do you have anything else that you want to impart and uh, of course, tell everybody where to find you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, if you want to tune into my show anytime, uh, I'm on two hours plus today, six days a week at robertscottbell.com. If you'd like to sign up for email alerts, you can text RSB, my initials, 
Robert Scott Bell, RSB to 22828. 22828, just send RSB and, and you'll be able to sign up. We do a lot of fun email blasts. We have polls of the day and things, but really keeping you up on, on information in a way that I think, um, as you see through the language of the medical matrix, in a sense that you become empowered, not disempowered to see through it. And uh, I, I think it's, you know, it's, it's a grand journey up for us to not only quote unquote, wake up, uh, but then to act on information that is, it really doesn't have to be confusing. And I think that's one of the things trying to simplify our path back to sanity. We're not going to do it by making it more complex. No, so, uh, you know, join me on that journey as a little or as much as you can. I love it. And uh, again, we, we got to get you on my show to, to hear about what you've overcome because that's, that's extraordinarily inspiring. Thank you. Yes, definitely. We'll look that up. Well, thank you so much for being here and thank you for all that you do. Well, I appreciate you too. And I just remind, uh, uh, my audience every hour and it's really a reminder for me just as i wrap it up that the yeah. the power to heal is yours yes i love that and i love what you said about simplifying it because i think that is actually also one of the tools that they've used is to uh mislead people into thinking that is so complicated they you know they need yeah. this advanced degree they couldn't possibly take ownership of their own health and that's yeah. not to undermine doctors it's a lie or, you know, it's a lie yeah. though but it's a deception and and if the doctors that you see try to complicate things um you might want to find another doctor i love the ones that you can talk with and they're so grounded in common sense and they're they are actually open to learn from you and you share and that's that's what we want to find people that have open hearts and open minds and yet yeah they know stuff and they're applying it but look at the track record if you're not sure where to go, talk to people about their experience. And we need to talk more, not less. That's the whole idea. They divide us, they conquer us. We come together and share and chat. We find out, you're not afraid? No, I'm not afraid. You're afraid? No, I'm not afraid. And suddenly, like the lie of everybody must be in fear crumbles. And we no longer comply. So thank you again for all you're doing as well. Yay, thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.